0: Best Practices in Emergency Notification, Webinar 4. If a person brought a gun to your campus and someone reported it to you, would you know what to do next? Are you prepared to make the split-second decisions that could affect the safety of hundreds or thousands of people? And... Would you know how to make use of your emergency notification system to help everyone stay safe and informed? Welcome to the Best Practices in Emergency Notification Webinar Series. I'm your host, Steve Hardiman. Today, you'll learn exactly what one school did when it faced this threat firsthand. This is Webinar 4 in this educational series sponsored by E2 Campus. In each, you can participate with and learn from your peers decision-makers who have first-hand experience responding to actual emergencies on their university and college campuses. They will share their expertise and answer your questions about how they made decisions, what actions they took, and the role their emergency notification system played in protecting the safety of the students, faculty, and staff to whom they are accountable. Today's webinar is entitled, Lockdown on Campus, Lessons Learned from Ferrum College. And today, where you're going to learn background and context for what has happened at Ferrum College, how events unfolded during the Ferrum College lockdown of February 26, 2008, how the media and students and parents reacted to the school's response, what Ferrum did when it responded, and what college officials learned, the corrective action they took, and finally, answers to your questions. Your presenters are joining us today from Ferrum College in the heart of historic Virginia, and they are Dr. Lee King, the Vice President for Institutional Advancement, Chip Phillips, the College's Director of Emergency Services and Safety, Susie Kelly, Ferrum's Lead Designer, and your first presenter today is Mary Alice Wissenit director of human resources and campus safety her colleagues call her ma and so that's what we're going to call her today hello ma welcome hello steve
1: and hello from sunny beautiful southwest virginia
0: After a career in manufacturing engineering, M.A. spent about eight years in her employer's health, safety, and environmental department before moving into the company's human resources department. She joined Ferrum College in 2004, serving as the director of human resources before adding campus safety to her responsibilities in January 2008. M.A., you didn't know what you are getting into there. Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> she now oversees the college's emergency services and safety and police departments. Okay, Ma, lay the groundwork for us so we can better understand what's about to happen. Let me
1: tell you a little bit about Fairmont College. This is a wonderful place, a uh, very serene mountain setting. We're a small private college with Methodist affiliation. We were founded in 1913 by the women who felt like the students in this area weren't getting adequate education. So the Women of the Methodist Church actually founded this institution. We have historic buildings, a beautiful rural setting. We're the only large facility in this area and this part of the county, as a matter of fact. We actually have more people in school on our campus and employed here than live in the surrounding community. Uh, we're about 10 miles from the closest town. We're 35 miles south of Roanoke, Virginia, and we're only um, just under 60 miles away from, from uh, Virginia Tech. We're on a campus of over 700 acres, uh, but the main campus is about 100 acres with 33 buildings on the main campus. We have multiple entrances to the campus, so we have no single security checkpoint for an entrance. Um, as I said, we have more staff, faculty and students on campus than we have in the population of the local area. We, On the day of the incident, we had about 1,200 to 1,300 students, about 1,000 of those students are residential students, so they were actually on campus at the time of the incident. Um, two to three hundred of those students are commuters, and they were driving in at that time. We also have about 250 staff and faculty here.
0: Thank you very much, M.A. M.A. will, of course, be joining us again a little later. And we want to move on to our next section about exactly what happened that day. So our next presenters are Chip Phillips and Susie Kelly. Hi, Chip. Hi, Susie. Steve.
2: Hi, Steve.
0: Chip Phillips currently serves as Director of Emergency Services and Safety at Ferrum College. He's worked at the college for 31 years. His previous titles include Director of Public Safety and he is also a Ferrum College graduate. Susie joined Ferrum College in 2002, working summers at the Blue Ridge Dinner Theater as a scene painter. In 2003, she moved from New York to Virginia and was hired as the college's webmaster. She's also, she also began working on many of the school's print publications, including the alumni magazine. This led to her current position as lead designer. All right, Chip, tell us about the lockdown. Okay, Steve. Um, the map that you're seeing now talks about three key locations on campus. Um, uh, Bassett Hall is our largest residence hall, housing over 400 students. This building is where a man with a gun was spotted by a member of our housekeeping staff. Gymnasium is where the members of the campus community were taken and spent a good portion of the day while the campus was searched. And then also is the Fair and Volunteer
3: Fire Department, which is located about a third of a mile off campus, and that was the site of our off-campus media center. On the day of the incident, I spent most of the day at Bassett Hall, where the Incident Command Center was set up. M.A. and Susie were in our administration building until they were moved to Swartz Gymnasium. Lee started out in Williamsburg that morning, which is about five hours from our campus, and eventually ended up at the the fire department where the media center was. Uh, Here's an example of media coverage of the event that particular day.
4: There is developing news this midday from Ferrum, Virginia, today, and that's where officials at Farum College have canceled classes and put the college in the lockdown.
1: Ten on your side, Sandy Fox, is live in the news and with the latest from campus. Of course, people are going to be very panicked when they hear this. Sandy, what's happening? Yeah,
4: carrying down, ten on your side has been monitoring the situation. We want to emphasize from the start no one was hurt. No one was hurt. Ferrum has a zero tolerance for handguns on campus. It is unsure who the man is who had the handgun, where he went, but as of now he has not been located. It is reported he looked at the housekeeper, who he showed the gun to apparently, and told her not to worry, that everything was okay. The police response, swift and impressive. 729, a housekeeper in Bassett Hall dorm claims she saw a man dressed in green with a handgun partially visible. At this time, uh, no threats were made towards anybody. No uh, incidents have happened to indicate any threats other than the fact the subject was seen with a firearm. As part of the emergency response established in the wake of the Virginia Tech shootings last April, a siren sounded, campus went on lockdown, text messages went out.
1: When we first got the information, it was very, very sketchy, and we didn't really have a lot of information. So we wanted to err on the side of caution to let students know, hey, there is an incident going on. Stay where you are until we have more information. And we
2: updated them every 45 minutes to let them know what to do and what's happening.
4: College officials have set up several emergency numbers for students and parents. Here are the numbers, and they are all in the area code 540. These are the numbers, 365-4206, 365-4388, and 465-4509. We've also set up a link on our website at wavy.com. The officials at the news conference praised the quick response from local law enforcement. Information went out quickly and orderly. Law enforcement went building to building, securing all doors, and even checking student IDs, making sure everyone in the building is supposed to be there. Again, there's no word on who the man was who had the gun and all they say is the gun was partially visible but not held up. In a threatening way. I'm Andy Fox, 10 on your side. We'll keep you updated on the story.
1: All right, sounds like they opted for better, safe, and than sorry. Thanks, Andy. We're going to keep following this story on air and online. We'll update you on what's happening during this hour long newscast and have continuous updates at wavy.com. Now, while you're there, let us know if you've got friends or loved ones on this campus. Share your thoughts about all of the recent college campus troubles. Okay, I'll go over the leave events that occurred that particular day.
3: 27 a.m. that occurred. We had a female housekeeper who worked in Bassett Hall who had contact with the man. Uh, the man told her not to worry. This particular individual was carrying a handgun. This occurred in a laundry room area of Bassett Hall. She was the only person to observe this man with the gun. No one has disputed the credibility of her observation. Calls her supervisor with their personal cell phone. Uh, over the course of the next four minutes, campus and local law enforcement were notified and began responding to the scene. Our president and crisis response team were notified as well. Between 7:31 and 7:50, a search began in Bassett Hall for the suspect. Many additional law enforcement personnel were responding to campus. Attempts were made. To, uh, an attempt was made. 7.50 a.m., our campus siren sounded shortly after the first text message was sent. At 8.14, the college lockdown was announced, and the siren was later silenced. Silence. Throughout the remainder of the morning and afternoon, campus buildings were searched, beginning with Bassett Hall. All faculty and staff and students were moved to Swartz Gymnasium. Text messages were sent throughout the day in an attempt to keep everyone informed with the most up-to-date information. The investigation began. Possible suspects were interviewed. We also fielded many media calls, parents' calls, and median and parents who actually came to Ferrum. Around 5 p.m., uh, everyone was released from the gym, and this was done without the benefit of a text message. We just released everyone at that particular time. Uh, at 6.32, students, faculty, and staff were released to go to the dining hall. And then at 8.18, the lockdown was lifted. Also going on in the area at the same time, uh, when an event such as this occurs, law enforcement are always concerned as to whether or not this is the focus of the incident or it was a distraction, Um, a distraction to draw a large law enforcement response to one location only to then commit the crime in another location. Since our local elementary school was adjacent to our campus, they were placed on lockdown and several members of law enforcement were assigned there. Our local courthouse was placed on lockdown. Our local hospital, local mental health agencies were placed on alert and ready to initiate their emergency response plans
5: as well.
2: Now the following is a complete list of text messages sent out on that day. The college didn't hesitate to use E2 Campus at all and they knew immediately that it would come in handy as a communication tool. The text messaging really played an important role in keeping our staff and students updated on the situation. Shortly after the incident, I received a phone call at my home from the Director of Public Relations, Natalie Fawn. So it was around 7.50, and I was getting ready for work. And actually, I was in the shower, and I sent the first text message from my home computer wrapped in a towel with shampoo in my hair. So that was kind of wild. Uh, I live about two miles away from campus, so I got the shampoo out of my hair, and I arrived at campus maybe a little after 8 a.m., and it's at this point that we sent out the second text message saying that the campus was on lockdown. Around 8:40, you know, 8:40, 840, 8:45, the phones are just ringing off the hook. So we decided to send out send out another text message uh, um, with with different numbers that parents can call. At 9:54, uh, we wanted to make sure that students. Did not leave the building that we're in. They want, so we made sure that they knew classes were canceled and they had no reason to leave the building. At 10:15, uh, at this point SWAT teams are still going to, building to building, so it's important that people stayed in the buildings that they were in. It wasn't a suggestion. Uh, I know that some people did, uh, I know that faculty tried to go from building to building, and they were actually stopped by the SWAT team um, who are, you know, walking around with these huge guns. So we wanted to make sure that students stayed in the building they were in. Now at 10.30, we sent out another lockdown, just continuing to tell people what was going on. It's still on lockdown, continue to stay indoors. Uh, At 11.45, we send out another um, information line number, which is our 555 number. At 12.38, at this point, most of us are in the gym and local authorities are conducting their investigations. Um, so we say that all students are safe, no shots are fired, campus lockdown is still in effect while investigation continues. We wanted to make sure that students knew that no one had been hurt. No shots had been fired. Everyone was okay. Now, throughout the afternoon, students are starting to get very antsy and they, they're hungry and they're in their pajamas and we wanted to remind them to stay patient and calm and we also want to thank them for, for their cooperation. Um, a lot of people in a, in, a, in a gym, in a small space, and, um, and um, we always want to keep them updated, so we continue to send messages at least every a half hour. At around 5 o'clock, we decide, uh, or the officials decide to start releasing the students in small groups, and they were instructed to return to their dorm rooms. And at 6.32 we sent out another message saying that they could go to the dining hall uh, from that point until 8 p.m. and return to the the residence halls after dining. Um, This was important that they knew that they had to return to their halls after after going to eat Uh, because the campus was still on lockdown, so we wanted to make sure that it continued to be on lockdown. And at 8.18, we sent our final message saying that the campus lockdown had been lifted and the students released, released for spring break. And we also wanted them to visit our website for more detailed information. These text messages are small, and, and we wanted to make sure they had all the information that they needed.
0: Thank you, Chip and Susie. And before we move on to our reactions to Ferrum's response, I want to introduce our next presenter. And to tell us about those reactions to Ferrum's response is Lee King. Hi, Lee. How's Dr. King originally worked at Ferrum as its Director of Development before joining the Patrick Henry Boys and Girls Plantation, a home for children with neglected and broken homes. He came back to Ferrum and now serves as Vice President for Institutional Advancement, where he has oversight of Ferrum's programs in fundraising, alumni relations, and public relations. He also has oversight of Ferrum's well-known Blue Ridge Institute and the college's Department of Athletics. Lee, let's start with the Media assessment. Thank you,
5: Steve. Um, Farron College, I believe, as MA mentioned, we are in close proximity of Virginia Tech. So with um, the tragic events that had occurred at Virginia Tech, as you can imagine, the local news media here was on heightened alert for uh, news of this incident that had occurred at Farum And we had a tremendous media response that came to the campus that day, which we will be sharing with you later on. Thankfully, we have a great relationship with the members of the local media. Our director of public relations is a former Local, meet, local TV um, news anchor, and uh, she has great relationships with the media, and thankfully we had a great outcome to this event, and you can see from the, uh, the excerpts that you have on your slide, those of you that are in the public relations business or the institutional advancement business know that you love to see headlines that say the system worked, rapid response, thorough search, and that the Farms response was outstanding. At this time, we do have a video that talks about some
3: of the great response that the college had from the members of the local media. WHSB News 3,
0: 11 minutes of nonstop news and weather starts now. There are new developments tonight in the situation at Farham College. The lockdown has been lifted on campus and students are being asked to go home for an extended spring break. Earlier today, the campus was put on lockdown when a housekeeper reported seeing a man with a handgun in a dorm. Ferrum College is less than 50 miles from Virginia Tech. And no one on campus was harmed. No one has been arrested. A Ferrum College student who lives in Newmarket tells TV3 that the school did an excellent job keeping students informed today.
1: If the first one said that there was a possible shooter on campus. And each time along the way, they've encouraged us You know, by saying, you are doing great, keep staying indoors, campus is still on the lockdown. So in the past 12 hours, they've sent us 14 messages through E2 Campus Alerts, letting us know every step
0: of the way. And that lockdown has now been lifted and students are now being ordered to leave campus. School officials say every student should be off campus by noon tomorrow to start an early spring break. Classes will resume on March 10th. Meanwhile, police have released this sketch of the suspect. Police say they interviewed several people who fit the description of the armed man, but no one has been charged. Police say there were no specific reports of threats or any shots fired. Now, WHSB will bring you the latest on this investigation as it becomes available. Immediately after the event, we
5: started receiving a number of email messages, telephone calls, voicemail messages. We would even set up a blog for people on our website to post their their thoughts of the day. Uh, we got great feedback from our students. We have two student representatives that are excerpted here. I won't read those for you, uh, but the students were talking about how, how safe they felt, how, well, how, how much they thought the situation was well handled. We also imagined we had great feedback as well from our parents. When we instituted our E2 campus alert system, we had a number of parents as well as members of the local media that had signed up for this. So as the events were going and unfolding through the day, parents were getting our constant text messages as well as the information that the media um, was was sharing. One thing to point out, the, the very last parent uh, that is excerpted there on the slide, her name is Mary Lux, mother. She points out the fact that she feels very strongly about the overwhelming um response of the local law enforcement there was uh, a tremendous response, and that uh, that wonderful show of uh, response from the law enforcement really relieved the parents to help them make sure that their children were indeed safe and this and this and activity was being handled appropriately.
0: Thank you very much, Lee. Now we're going to analyze uh, Ferrum's response to the emergency, and later we'll look at lessons learned and changes made, but we'll begin by taking a look at what worked. Now, before we get into the specifics of Fairham situation, we have another poll for you. We'd kind of like to know a little bit about your situation and how your school involves local public service agencies. Uh, obviously that was a factor in the lockdown at Fairham College, so we're curious about some of the activities you may or may not be engaged in with local uh, law enforcement, fire and rescue, public health, mental health, etc. So just click the response there that applies to you and we'll publish those results in just a minute. Uh, and while you're uh, sending those in, I would like to ask uh, our presenters from our from Ferrum, is that uh, some of those options uh, seem a little more important than others. And so what have you done that seemed less important at the time but paid the biggest dividends during the lockdown?
1: It's hard to say
0: which one we would select out of there. Do you think that having the multiples, having a combination, actually has an, a synergy effect that's greater you than the sum of We have
1: to have all of the above, um, and we were lucky in that we had some level of all of the above. I think that's why we were able to have a successful completion
0: to that incident. There's a result, and it looks like uh, emergency contact information and operation plans are, you know, everybody's doing that mostly, or a lot of people are. But we're seeing a little drop-off with building plans and facility plans, same with testing, drills, and training, uh, and then a little less with uh, campus tours, Uh and uh, the use of facilities for functions. And then it starts to get even leaner in the area of school-related social, inviting them to school-related social functions, and very few say that they share emergency response equipment and uh, school representatives sitting on the public safety board. Uh, so does anything jump out at you as the ones that were not popular that uh, should be addressed Should be addressed more?
1: Uh, don't undersell... The, the importance of building plans and facilities involvement. Uh, the officers who came on our campus searched every nook and cranny. Cranny. They, they wanted every single door unlocked. If it was a little cabinet door that was large enough for a person to hide in, they wanted it open. And if we couldn't open it, they opened it. So that's been a primary focus for us they look everywhere and you better know how to get them into it.
0: Okay, that's good input from that poll. Thank you for responding. MA, let's move on to the first part of the what worked and talk about planning on campus.
1: What worked is that we already had an active safety committee on campus. It had been working for many years. Um It was doing what it was supposed to do. After the tech event, we quickly decided we needed to include an emergency planning component for our safety committee. And now our committee is actively involved in reviewing and developing and reviewing our safety plans. We had a crisis response team in place. We had already brushed it off, dusted it off, reminded everybody what their functions were. We had restructured because of of a new position that had been created, and that's this emergency services and safety initiative. The safety committee had made a recommendation, a formal recommendation, to the president of the college that we needed to have somebody on campus who really owned campus safety. And with that, emergency response. Um, The decision was made to create a new position. That position was filled by Chip. Chip brought wonderful experience to the table. Um, I was given overall responsibility for pulling the police department function into the emergency services and safety function. Uh, This is... Been a very good move, and while Chip and I both were given these additional responsibilities, um, we don't do we don't have responsibilities only for these functions, which um, uh, would make our lives a little easier probably if we did. Um, we had been planning for some time. We had engaged in the governor of Virginia's campus safety initiative that he began right after the Virginia Tech incident. We had gone to his initial conference. The president of the college, along with two vice presidents and and I, attended that conference, and we've remained active with that function. This is – the things that are coming out of the governor's campus safety initiative are required for public institutions. We're a private, not-for-profit institution and not required to comply with them. But we have made it our charter that we will comply to the best of our ability with the things he's putting in place for public institutions, and I think that's been a very very good decision. We already had a good relationship with our local public safety and law enforcement agencies. Um, The Virginia Tech incident had everybody just keenly aware of issues, as a matter of fact, uh, in the aftermath of Virginia Tech, a law enforcement officer who was being interviewed said, "Had this incident happened at Ferrum College, we could not have responded at this in this level. Surprise! They did, and even more—oh, maybe not more, but surprisingly uh, large response. It really helped that they had that." All these law enforcement agencies had recently gone through active shooter training. Uh, They had spent a month or so going through training. They had a drill already planned for the high school for the month of March. So they were already actively working on their incident response, and it really paid off that day.
3: Our alert system on campus, one of the components of our alert system is a campus siren. Uh, The siren had been installed in the fall of 2007. It had only been tested for functionality over the previous Thanksgiving break. The majority of our campus had never heard the siren. On the day of the incident, that made it even more important to be able to send out a text message to our campus to let them know what was going on. Our campus is instructed that if the siren is activated, they are to seek shelter and remain there until additional information is received. Our primary method of sending out this additional information is through the use of text messages. In addition to the text messages, we also use our campus email, post information on our website, placement of a message on a campus information landline, and if practical, use our RAs to disperse information to students. I think we all agree that Virginia
2: Tech really changed us. Virginia Tech, we began looking for text messaging services, and we wasted no time in getting something up for our campus. Uh, So by the end of April, we had already signed up with E2Campus. Now, because this concept of the alert system is pretty new for everyone, we wanted to start a campaign for our campus to let people know about this great service. We not only wanted to make sure that everyone knew about the service, but we also wanted to give them some good reasons to sign up for it. So you see there on the right, uh, the posters that we created for the campus building, and we used an example of a snow day cancellation. We really didn't want to scare them with a, a gunman scenario, so this is a great example to use. It gave them a reason to sign up. Um, before this student existed, uh, I mean, before this service existed, students may have, you know, had to trek through the snow only to find a note on the door saying the classes were canceled, or maybe they would call the information line or look on the web. But now they might not even have to leave their beds. I I can sort of picture a student waking up in the morning and and getting the snow day message and just going right back to sleep. Um, One of the first times we used the service was for a snow day. And word of mouth and viral effects really contributed to the enrollment numbers on that particular day. So what happens is the phones start beeping and the service becomes visible to those around them. Uh, so the more si- we have more signups every time. that uh, system is used. Uh, this is a great opportunity for troubleshooting and problems they might have with receiving messages or validating their phones. Often get calls all the time right after we use Um On the day of the lockdown, we had 700 subscribers, and we had over 200 more that day. So these are this is media. These are parents. These are students. They're all signing up the day of the incident. Uh,
5: Today we have over 1,600 subscribers. I'll discuss with you our reactions with our our local media. As you can imagine, we we drew a tremendous amount of media coverage that day. I was awakened uh, that morning. I was in Williamsburg doing donor visits and got the call that we had a potential gunman on campus. Immediately in our conversations between me and our public relations director, we discussed the fact that we needed to try to keep our media in one location and not have them all over campus. We were helped by the fact that in the local emergency services protocol, the Virginia Department of Transportation shuts down Route 40, the main entrance into the Ferrum area. When they shut that down, we were able to sequester the media in one location a third of a mile from campus uh, next to the roadblock. We used the local volunteer fire department as the the place where we we housed our, our members of the local media. That central location was very helpful to us for a number of reasons. First, we didn't have media running all over the campus interfering with the police investigation and the law enforcement response. More importantly, it helped keep the media together so that the appropriate officials from the college could give them the briefings that we uh, wanted them to do. It's important to remember that the media do have a job to do, and uh, they're going to be very insistent about doing that job, and if you can find ways to, to mutually work together it's for everyone's um, benefit. At Ferrum, we have it designated in our internal policies that the public relations office is the only spokesperson for the college. By having the media sequestered at the fire department, we were able to have our public relations office control the information that the media was receiving, and we were able to ensure that our message that was given to the members of the media was consistent. We also took good care of the media while they were there, the local Dairy Queen, the local... Um, convenience store and others provided food, snacks, drinks, and others to the media that day so that we were able to keep them well fed and, and happy as we were working through this crisis. As previously
3: mentioned, the response of local law enforcement was tremendous. We had 21 law enforcement agencies, approximately 300 officers respond to our campus. Those included local law enforcement, college police, the U.S. Marshal's Office, Secret Service, FBI, ATF, Virginia State Police, local SWAT teams, among others. In addition to local law enforcement agencies, we had uh, EMS, fire departments, Virginia Department of Transportation came to help with traffic control. The American Red Cross came to feed the officers that were inside the perimeter on the campus.
5: So it was a tremendous response. throughout the day. Um, One of the the side effects of having the media co-located in one location is we needed to keep them consistently informed. Um, We placed our public relations staff uh, there. Our, Our director of public relations was there when I made it to campus afternoon that morning on a quick trip back from Williamsburg. I was there as other members of our institutional advancement staff were there. We scheduled a number of press conferences throughout the day to consistently inform the media of what was going on, and we brought in our president as well as the local sheriff, as well as the representative from the Virginia State Police. Uh, it was important for us to have our to have the president speaking as the public face of the college for us to the media and to the um, in our press conferences. We also were able to keep the PR team available there with the media so that we can consistently keep them up to date and informed of information as we knew what was happening. Another important part. Of our lessons learned really is from the debriefing that went on afterwards.
3: We had several campus debriefing sessions, including an email-type forum with faculty and staff for them to give their observations on the events they observed from wherever they happened to be on that particular day. We were interested in trying to get out consistent information to everyone on campus, so we were looking to educate the campus community. We were concerned about making sure that our students and when they came back to campus after spring break. We were also looking at assessing any future type of dangers and evaluating what worked and what didn't work. We also participated in an off-campus debriefing with the local law enforcement agencies. Uh, Despite the fact that we thought everything went well, they were quite critical of themselves. But I think in, in one sense, everyone's trying to make the best out of the situation Learning experience
0: for all of us and that's going to bring us to our next section we're going to talk about what are some of the lessons learned before we do that though we've got one last poll for you today that would turns out to be something that was relevant to Farum's experience and the poll is, are there protocols in place to protect the safety of your president and senior administrators during an emergency? Let me quickly ask Farum, what did the lockdown teach you about these protocols that you didn't know beforehand?
1: It's absolutely wonderful to have a a president who is totally participative. She knows many, many, many of the students She's always accessible to them. Um, that very outgoing nature of your president could put her in jeopardy. Um, it caused us to step back and think, what if, what if there had been an incident where um, one of our senior administrators was injured or, heaven forbid, killed? How would we go forward? So we had to look at the placement of those critical people, those key people on campus, and decide where they need to be. Lee had to comment.
5: I will add to MA's thoughts. It's also very important in your, in your planning as you're doing this to make sure that it's not just your senior administrators that are the ones in charge of running the show. It could, you know, we mentioned already I happened to be in Williamsburg the morning this event happened. It was very likely our president also travels very frequently for uh, for fundraising as well as boards and professional conferences that she attends. Um, it's very likely that uh, two or three members of our senior administration may not have been present on campus that day. So don't be too heavily reliant upon having your absolute top
0: administrators being the ones who, who run the show and implement your emergency protocols. I think you got some people taking notes. Uh, in our poll results, uh, 48% said uh no that uh there aren't no protocols in place 30% said yes and 22% said not sure so there are a lot of people that have not addressed this and it seems like given that you you know violence can happen anywhere that this would be the kind of thing that applies to almost anyone any campus so let's move on to the lessons learned and we're going to we're going to pick that up with MA to start talking first about the backup plans
1: Okay, that that was a beautiful segue into discussion of the backup plan. Um, we had we had plans; they weren't necessarily put to paper yet because they were so new. But we had discussed and knew what we thought should happen. The problem with any plan is when an incident occurs, it's not going to happen the way you had your plan set up. More than likely, so. We learned that we needed to have backup plans, just as Lee said, we needed, we were fortunate in that we had key members of our senior administration staff on campus that day helping us call shots and make decisions um, in areas that we could call shots and make decisions. Um, we've been forced to think, what if they hadn't been there? Um, what would we have done? How would we have handled it? So. Have your backup plan, think through all the different um, scenarios that could happen, and um, have a plan that's flexible and will work for lots of different situations. Um, Timing is critical. As Susie said, we had many of our employees en route to work at that time. Susie did her job with shampoo in her hair. Others never made it to campus because they were blocked from campus. So uh, imagine as you work through your potential incidents, what would happen if it occurred in the middle of the night versus the middle of the day versus commuter time. Um, We learned that we didn't have adequate communication for our housekeepers. Our housekeepers are the only people who are here during – sleep hours, um, other than the students on campus and the people who are professional uh, residence life people. They come in early to clean buildings before the activities of the day began. And they had had been prone to work alone, um, even though we had been working toward teams at that point. It still wasn't a reality. So we learned that we had put these people in very vulnerable positions. We had not given them adequate communication means. The housekeeper who was faced with this gunman used her own personal cell phone. Thank goodness she had a personal cell phone to use. So we, we learned that that wasn't good. Um, we learned that once incident command comes on campus, once law enforcement's incident command structure is set up on campus, You don't have control. And I made comments about decisions that senior administrators could make. There were very few decisions that senior administrators could make that day that didn't have to be passed through law enforcement's incident command system before anything could be done. And that included feeding our students um, come lunchtime. We, We didn't realize until we lived through it the absolute control that the incident command system has on your campus. Let me tell you, when uh, the sheriff walked into the conference room at 8.32 that evening and said to the president, we now give the campus back to you, we sort of breathed a sigh of of relief that they had had command of the campus during that very trying time.
3: Uh, chip. All right. The uh, pre-scripted text messages are very important. I don't know how many of you have thought about doing that. We had already began discussions of having those available to send out at least as an initial message. Uh, of course, you can't always predict what's going to happen, what information you need to have in there, but to have some idea is very helpful, especially when time is an issue. Uh, it also makes you aware of the proper message link, as text messages can, you know, you're limited to 160 characters. We had a prior situation, uh, and it took us about an hour one time to write and edit a four-sentence paragraph, because I think we were doing it by committee. So you can't, you don't always have the time and luxury of being able to do that, so keep that in mind. We did not have floor plans available to hand out to law enforcement to assist with the search. Uh, they would have liked to have had that help them go room to room, floor to floor. Also, student information was not accessible, Uh, easily accessible rosters to account for the students, uh, photos to review, that type of thing. Uh, That would have been helpful to ask for that. We did have master keys that opened probably 95% of campus. We did not have master keys that opened every door on campus. Uh, We had some unmastered locks and that hindered their search. Uh, going room to room. Prior to the incident, on February 26th, our residence hall exterior doors were not locked on a 24-hour basis. Uh, Obviously, after this incident, we decided that's something that we needed to consider and do, so we made repairs to uh, doors to ensure that this could happen. Surveillance equipment, uh, we had no surveillance equipment on our campus in our residence halls. that would have been helpful on that particular day if we could have gone back and reviewed some footage and could have possibly seen this individual. With everyone in the gymnasium that day, basic supplies were gone through rather quickly. Uh, Food, water, bathroom facilities, Uh, we ended up with just one male, one female bathroom with two stalls, and for 1,200 people, that got, got quite a bit of use that day. The local law enforcement had taken over the lower level of our gymnasium where our locker rooms were. So we hadn't planned that into our uh, plans. Uh, Nicorette gum would have been nice for a lot of students that particular day. Games, that type of thing. So you need to think about if you're going to uh, move all your students on your campus to one location, you know, how long are you going to be there, what are you going to do with them, how are you going to feed them, that type of thing. Uh, Cell phone chargers and spare batteries. Uh, Cell phones that particular day were our primary source of communicating with one another. Uh, unless you had a good charge or a good cell phone. Uh, we had some administrators whose cell phones had died rather really quickly that day, so it's a good idea to have replacement batteries or extra chargers so you can charge those cell phones.
2: We did have some technology limitations on that day. Um, we only have one cell phone power in the area, and it provides service to three main carriers, and that's Verizon, U.S. Cellular, and Intel. This is often the only tower within its 10 mile radius, so it can easily become overloaded.
1: And it did become overloaded that
2: day. And again, we are very, very rural. This cell phone tower is pretty new. Um, past 10, five. five years. Past five years, it, it, it uh, was installed. Um, usually after an alert, I'll receive a few calls about users not receiving messages, but about 99% of the time, it's a validation issue. And that means that they signed up for the service and they haven't validated their phone and therefore they're not receiving their messages. Occasionally we've had some issues with Verizon versus Verizon wireless coverage. But there's only been a few. What happens is that there are are two options for Verizon carriers. They can choose Verizon or they can choose Verizon wireless. And some phones seem to only take to one another. So we're still working out the kink on that. And since Verizon is one of our main carriers, we want to make sure that that service is being looked into. Um, during the lockdown, the SWAT teams removed us from the buildings that we were in. So we, the PR team was kind of forced away from our desk. Uh, we didn't anticipate this, and there was no Wi-Fi in the gym. Um, so while we had laptops with, you know, airport capabilities, we didn't have a connection to the Internet. Luckily, I ended up at someone's desk uh, in the gym. There are a few offices in the gym, and I ended up uh, at one of the computers. Um, And that's where M.A. and the president would often come in and
1: and tell me what to put into the system. Another thing we learned was that while we had good traffic control around our campus, because we have multiple entrances to the campus, we hadn't thought about... uh, total control of traffic. We had one entrance to campus that, that was not locked. Um, you see some uh, footage of students leaving Bassett Hall in single file surrounded by police officers. The, that footage was captured by press that came in that unsecured entrance. So uh, we learned that we need to better control our campus uh, access. We're very fortunate we have contracted counseling service for our students here on campus. It just so happened that the counselor who services our students was here that morning and made her way to the um, gymnasium and she was able to mingle with the students and help us address issues as they were developing. We had some very frightened students. Um, It was wonderful that she was there. But we realized that that hadn't been part of our plan, nor was part of our plan in using the community mental health services. We learned later that our local mental health service had put themselves on standby alert to help us, and we didn't even know they were available. So know what your outside
0: resources are. All right, let's go on to our our final poll. It turns out this issue was relevant to Ferrum's experience as well. Is cell tower capacity near your school adequate for use in an emergency where the ENS is used? Uh, Real quick for you guys, how difficult was it for you to obtain cooperation for expanding the capacity by the provider who owns the towers in your area?
3: We had a visit that day from Verizon Wireless who brought us. aware of the situation, they came out on their own accord and helped adjust uh, our tower so that it could handle more traffic.
0: Good. All right. Let me get these results out here so we can move forward, and I'll, I'll fill you guys in real briefly. Fifty-five percent said that, uh, yes, they have adequate capacity. Uh, nobody said no, uh, and there were a few that said they were not sure, but somebody knew at their campus, uh, And but we did get 32 percent that said I'm not sure that anyone in my school knows this. So it may not have been looked at. And then some people don't have an ENS, so they didn't, it doesn't apply to them. Okay, interesting. So something to definitely look into uh, if you've not looked into it, because it could definitely become an issue. We're going to go b- over to Chip and see what you learned from the lockdown and what you've done to address the challenges. Okay, uh, we'll quick, quickly go over some of these items. Uh, first of all, our housekeeping staff
3: now work kind on of a budget keepers carry push-to-talk Verizon wireless cell phones so they can communicate back and forth to each other. Uh, these phones also have capabilities of dialing 911 as well. Our crisis response team feels better organized and obviously um, we have, by having this experience, have more things to build off of as a result. The text message wording we have now is we have some pre-scripted messages. We are looking at car keys and master keys being created for all buildings on campus so the access is easier. Uh, floor plans for all campus buildings are being updated and we're sharing this information with local fire rescue and law enforcement. Student information is now easily accessible online to campus emergency response personnel. And surveillance cameras, we have... Approximately forty to fifty are now have been installed at exterior entrances to our all our residence halls on campus.
2: Now, for the PR team, we knew we had to equip them with something they could take anywhere with them. Um, so we ended up getting laptops with wireless internet cards. We had initially considered iPhones, and I was certainly rooting for an iPhone. But AT and T is not one of our local carriers. So the MacBook Pro has a special slot inside for that Verizon wireless card. In addition, the website now uh, is being redesigned to include all emergency information off the front page. And when we do send out an E2 Campus alert, uh, the E2 Campus website page for our college automatically updates. So when an alert is sent out, no one needs to change it, it's already up there. We also wanted to have a blog dedicated to emergency information that was hosted elsewhere. So in case our servers got overloaded and somehow the website went down, there would be another location on the web where people could go to get that information.
1: Um, uh, Chip alluded to building security. We've we've made huge um, progress in tightening down the security of our buildings. We are looking at actually what it would take to provide key card access to all buildings so that they were even more manageable from a security perspective. Um, the, The property and casualty broker that handles our insurance has made available to us a security vulnerability assessment after the Virginia Tech incident, actually after our incident. That organization made a decision to do a pilot program whereby they provided a third party security consulting company to do assessments of college and university campuses. They selected three colleges and universities in the United States to participate in this pilot project free of charge and Ferrum College was selected to represent the rural college. and. We actually have that assessment beginning tomorrow. Uh, Representatives of that company will be on campus for two days interviewing um, lots of different groups on campuses doing physical assessments of our facilities. We knew we needed a threat assessment team after the Virginia Tech incident and and the governor of Virginia is um, very high on dealing with student mental health issues. Ours is now in place. We're having... We're providing training for that team. We've actually already used it once. Uh, we're providing training to all the staff and faculty on how to identify at-risk behavior for students. And um, we're making this a campus-wide effort. Everybody is the frontline person who might see some, act, some behavior of a student that would cause concern. That one action might not be noted, but if you put that with everybody else's concerns, it becomes a little more evident that that student may have some problems they need help with. Um, and lastly, we, we're more active than ever with our local public safety agencies. We're interacting with them on a regular basis. We're sharing our emergency operations plan with them, and they are sharing ours, theirs with us. And we think it's absolutely critical that the good relationship that we had with them be maintained.
0: Steve, if you guys are ready, we can go ahead and jump into some Q and A, and we'll take our first one, which comes from Donna. What priority order did you decide for sending an emergency message? Your alert system, email, voicemail?
5: I think our, our priority, the the the. We instituted e2 campus. It is the fastest way to get a blanket message out, um, aside from our siren, um, And and students, you know, what, one thing we have uncovered at our campus that, it, that Ma very very uh, rightly points out: students have become kind of uh, lackadaisical really about email. They don't read their email very very frequently. They're they're rather be text messaging and instant messaging each other. So. Uh, for us, it was the the easy decision to make the morning of this e- event was that we were going to quickly get out the text message because that's the way that our students, uh, who were our main focus of concern that day, that's the way that our students are communicating.
0: Looks like we have another. There's an E2 client, E2 Campus client out there. Did you use the seed feature of E2 Campus to notify everyone via email as well?
2: No, actually, that day we sent out campus mail uh, through our internal system. We have not been able to use the feed uh, option yet. we tried, but our Barracuda uh, software uh, blocks it as spam. So because it comes in all at once, it leaves it as something that's not supposed to be there, and the messages do not get received. Um, we are currently working on, on making that feature available, but in the meantime, we have uh, we use our own internal system to send out the email.
0: Thanks, Gordon, for that question. Next question comes from Brian. How long did it take for the text messages to get delivered?
2: Almost instantly, but in this case, I think there was some delay on some of the messages only because of the overload on
5: the system. The high volume coming through the one cell tower here on campus, um, not everyone on campus may have gotten them instantly. I know I was off campus that morning. Mine came instantaneously.
1: Mine were a little bit delayed. Um, but only by a few minutes
0: are you using digital signage on your campus
1: no we have a couple of digital signs currently on campus that are not have not been incorporated into our emergency response system um, obviously it's something that we'll evaluate as we go forward and look at more um, integration of all of our electronic processes, such as key card access, messages that go
5: out,
0: and so forth. Uh, Robin asks, how often throughout the day were media given updates?
5: To the best of my recollection, we had three planned press conferences where we, we told the media, you'll get an official briefing and an official update from the sheriff, from the state police, and from the president of the college at three planned intervals, and we gave them um, an hour or so notice as we were able to do that of when those events would become, when those press conferences would be coming. However, um, once I got to campus, and I know Natalie, our public relations director, when she was here, we would make periodic visits up to the incident command center that the um, the law enforcement officers had set up on our campus, and if there was relevant information Uh, that we had picked up at those events. At those instances when we went to the Incident Command Center, we would pass that on to the local media um, when we got back down. But we planned three press conferences that day. We had one around noon. We had another one, I believe, at uh, maybe 2 o'clock that afternoon, and then another one just before we released all the students from the gymnasium back to their rooms.
0: How long did it take to install and implement your alert system? How large is your IT department? <laughs> that's that's small, huh?
2: <laughs> but I will tell you, way too small. <laughs> <laughs> when we currently signed up at UT Campus, I was the webmaster. And the designer, I believe. Jenny was here. Yeah, right. Um,
1: we signed up and had it up within a few days. And that credit out. really goes to Susie and Natalie. Um, our IT department was only peripherally involved in mm-hmm. that.
2: Because I'm, uh, as webmaster, I was involved in public relations instead of IT. So I'm not, I, I don't fall under their department. I fall under Um
1: And that was because I was the webmaster. And and she's correct in saying earlier that they identified the product and put it out there extremely quickly. Um, Within two weeks, we were going live with it. For two weeks of the Virginia Tech incident? Yes, of the the Virginia Tech incident,
0: yes. Yeah, with a small crew. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. You may have covered this one, but uh, if there's anything you wanted to add, what would you have done differently if the situation happened in the future?
1: little consternation as um, the person responsible for overall campus safety is that we had our our senior administration sort of scattered around campus as opposed to in a secure place. That could have had a long-term detrimental effect on the campus under different circumstances. So that's my answer. Um, Anybody else got something to add?
0: Okay, Wade asks, uh, did, I'm sorry, did you want to add a question? No, I was going to say, I
5: might have to ponder that one and, and come up with an answer in a few moments. There, uh, there are some things my memory is uh, not what it used to be.
0: Okay. Um, Wade wants to know, he says, I'm the security manager for DuPont's 150-acre campus-style facility experimental station here in Delaware. Does your campus have buildings or classrooms that have no safe zones or places to hide? I have several buildings that are all glass with no lockable rooms. How do you handle this?
1: We do have some buildings that are uh, cause a huge level of vulnerability to the people inside. And I have to say, I'm sorry, I don't have an answer for you. Um, we have some issues here on campus that we really are eagerly awaiting this um, security vulnerability assessment report on, because we want some expert help from somebody to tell us how to deal with those situations. What we do is find the safest zone in that building that we can come up with, and they're they're certainly not optimal in a couple of our buildings.
0: Okay. Who has the authority to send messages, and who decides when a message goes out?
5: Uh, We actually, this is something that we learned from this event. Um, It used to be that only our public relations staff had the access codes to send out the message. And the way our initial protocols worked, either MA or CHIP or our campus police or others on the safety side would inform the public relations office that a message needed to get out and then the PR office needed to do that. Um, The downside of that is that sometimes 5, 10, 15 minutes can elapse when you have different people talking to each other. Um, Our safety staff now have the access codes to the E2 campus, and in the event that they're not able to quickly get uh, the public relations staff um, available, they have that information to be able to put that message out immediately themselves.
1: But
2: typically, it's public relations. Yeah, I think there's been only one time when you sent it out, right? There was a tornado warning? Yeah,
5: there was, there was, an, there was an incident this summer. Uh, our, our main uh, academic year had ended. We have a three-week experiential term. We call it our E-term. Uh, that meets the first three weeks of May, and we had about a third of our student body on campus this May when we had a tornado warning that came through the area. That was a that was a good example of of why we needed to change our protocol because it, it, the the night that that came through, that happened, I believe it was about nine o'clock. Um, Natalie, our public relations director who lives in Roanoke, was not able to be reached. Uh, we couldn't catch Susie. Um, at her home, Jenny, our webmaster, who was our other public relations person, was not available. M.A. called me. Thankfully, I had the information at home, and I was able, using my home computer, to get out the E2 campus uh, text message. And it was. It was really after that incident that we made sure that that was disseminated to other people because that was a good example of an incident that occurred with this weather event that happened later in the evening, where um, the three key people in the public relations office couldn't be reached.
0: All right, how did you communicate with parents during this uh, emergency?
2: A lot of them were signing up for the service, uh, and they were given the information line as well. Uh, In one of our parents' newsletters, we also included an ad uh, for parents saying, this is our service, this is something you can sign up for.
1: We really had to rely on uh, the press to help us keep parents informed. We did have a lot of parents who were already signed up. Um, but except for what they could see on our website, what they could hear on the news, we really and, and what they could get by text message, we didn't have another avenue. And I'll add to that. this is something that other colleges and, and universities that are listening in,
5: listening in need to put as part of your planning. because the way we had planned for this to occur in the ideal world didn't happen. We never anticipated in our planning that all of the campus buildings would have to be evacuated to another location. In this case, the the teams moved each building. As they cleared the buildings, all the occupants of those buildings got sent to the gym. That left, you know, early on in this incident, we had set up some telephone numbers for our parents and people off campus to call into. And uh, we had broadcast that through the media. We broadcast it through the text messaging system. When our buildings were evacuated and we didn't know that this was going to happen, but that left those phones unmanned. So we had parents, unfortunately, that were calling the numbers that we had provided and not able to get information because all the staff that was located in that building um, was, was relocated. You need to put in place some sort of a call forwarding system so that if you do get sent to another location, you're able for those calls to be forwarded to a new command center set up in that one area, but also use your web effectively. And uh, Ma is right; we had to rely on the on the local media to help tell the story that everything was okay.
0: Our next question comes from April, and welcome back, April. I think she has been here for the entire series. And um, who did you have doing the roadblocks? Was it police, fire, or other?
3: Uh, it was a combination of. Uh... Virginia Department of Highway Transportation, they did a lot of it. Uh, local law enforcement also controlled the perimeters as well. We had some of our employees that actually was doing some of it also, some of our maintenance staff, fiscal plan staff that helped as well. Uh, it was just a, a number of different types of individuals.
1: But the Virginia Department of Transportation actually had a plan in place, and they um, – I think they just showed up. I think it was part of the uh, the dispatch process that they were notified because we didn't call them.
5: Make sure as well, and I'll add to this, if your campus gets locked down in that manner as ours did, I was a senior administrator of the campus that happened to be off campus that morning. If I did not have my campus ID with me, I was not going to be allowed back onto our campus. And that is, is something very important for... Um, for especially your key staff, but for others that are required to be part of, a, of an incident that occurs, if you can't identify yourself and prove that you are who you say you are, when the incident command system is in charge of your campus, it uh, doesn't matter that I'm standing out there saying that I'm a vice president of the college. I wasn't getting in until I could prove it. Right.
1: And that's a very good point, Steve. It, um, that was the one thing that caused the most consternation to some of the students and faculty. Um they did, We actually had a few students and a couple of faculty members taken down to the ground uh, because they didn't have identification and, and they felt like th- that they had a right to be there and uh, they shouldn't be questioned. So we've made it very clear to everybody on our campus that it's in their best interest to always have their IDs with them.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that you may have addressed uh, the next question from Sarah, which is were all of you given special permission to come onto campus, even though the campus was in lockdown. So, is there anything you wanted to add to that, or did you pretty much handle it with that answer?
1: We really had to be cleared by somebody. They did not allow anybody to come in just on their own word. All
5: right. In, in my case, it was the Virginia Department of Transportation roadblock that first stopped me. And uh, the worker that was there actually radioed ahead to the police department command center, giving them my information, who I was, and my ID information that I was truly a senior minister of the college. And it was the incident command center in the center of campus that actually made the decision to allow me on.
0: Come on, Lee, you were changing lanes without using your turn signal. <laughs> A question from John. How specifically is training for faculty and staff being accomplished for training them for at-risk behaviors?
1: This has been a challenge for us. We've gone two or three different routes to attempt to do this. Um, we, we worked at first with our campus counseling service to try to develop in-house a training program that we could present in small group settings to staff and faculty. Um, that's a lot bigger task than it sounds. And, and we made a little headway there but not adequate. We've looked at several different training packages. We're currently looking at a training package and I'm going to give them a plug. We haven't opted to go with them yet, but it's Campus Safety 101 put put out through Magna Publications. This is a new online interactive um, training for uh, dealing with behavioral issues with students. We're finding that to be probably the very best um, alternative that we can do. We have not signed on with them yet but
0: we're in an evaluation stage. Question from Wade. How many times have you used the E2 campus alert system since you had it?
2: Um, I can't remember the number off the
1: top of my head. I want to say it's over 20. Uh, We've had two or three tornado warnings. We had this incident, and then we've had several winter weather kind of incidents. So, Susie is saying around 20. Yeah, I want to say between 20 and 30. Uh, we sent out 15 on the day. Oh, you're talking individual messages. How many different incidents? Oh, In- incidents.
0: incidents. I think incidents is what they're getting at. Oh, um,
1: yeah, three or four snow days. Three or four snow days two or three tornadoes and then this incident.
5: And and we're very careful to make sure in our protocols that we're only using it for emergency notifications. Um, If you start using it for news and uh, just general campus information, then it's not going to be effective for you as a emergency notification tool.
0: Batten Cleanup today on the questions. Shelby, thanks for this question. Uh, And we've addressed it a little bit, but you may want something to add. Do you have a campus emergency operations center? If so, was it activated?
1: We have two places on campus that we consider consider our internal command centers. Um, One of them was in the building that the gunman was in. So that building was the first one to be locked. The other one is in the main administration building, and that's the place that we were using for the call center and so forth. And what we didn't anticipate was that a SWAT team would come to the lobby of that building, immediately disperse through the halls with their guns drawn, take everybody from their office under uh, threat of, of uh, arrest, and take them out of the building. So yes and no, again, that's the contingency plans that you need to think about.
5: Yeah, that's where being able to have mobile communication and mobile access to the internet and email and and your text messaging system is really important because on that, that day, the way it occurred, um, our command team could never have gotten to the two command centers that we had designated. You know, our president, for example, at the, at the time that this occurred, was in the dining hall having breakfast with our students, which she often does the mornings that she's here on campus. Um, as soon as the law enforcement was here, that building was locked down. So our president was stuck in, in, the, in the dining hall. Our other, our other vice presidents were in different other places, and our other members of our safety team. Also, we couldn't get to the physical places where we had identified.
0: Thank you to M.A. Chip Lee and Susie for sharing what you've learned from your successful handling of the lockdown and, more importantly, what you learned to help everyone respond even more effectively if faced with another emergency. We're still in the early years of emergency notification systems, so we learn a lot from those who have used them and, like yourselves, use them well. Also, thanks to E2 Campus for making this important webinar series possible. And thank you for participating Take what you learned today and use it to make your school safer for everyone whose safety is in your hands. We all have the same goal here, so by coming together in these webinars and sharing what we know, we all get smarter and have the confidence of knowing we'll be ready when it really counts. Our next webinar, the fifth in the Best Practices in Emergency Notification series, is entitled Beyond SMS, Multimodal Emergency Notifications. Your presenter will be Sam Kennedy, Assistant Director of User Services at Virginia Commonwealth University. Many experts believe that there is no one magic solution to communicate to everyone in a crisis. They recommend having a mass text messaging system, an autophone dialer, LED signs, loudspeakers, digital signage, web page postings, email distribution lists, alert beacons, and more. Now imagine the speed, effectiveness, and convenience of all these communication channels and others being controlled by one interface. Virginia Commonwealth University will explain how to achieve this new paradigm in mass communications. In that webinar you will learn all of the communication channels possible for emergency communication by having separate departments or stove pipes responsible for each and why that's dangerous, how to tie all these systems into one centralized interface, how to maximize this new paradigm, and, of course, answers to your questions. It all happens on Wednesday, January 21 at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you for participating in the Best Practices and Emergency Notification webinar series. I'm Steve Hardiman. Make it a safe day.